Let's remain standing. We're going to have the scripture reading today. The preaching passage is from Titus chapter 3, verses 8 through 15. So we'll be finishing the letter of Paul to Titus. That's chapter 3, verses 8 through 15. Hear now God's word. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. But when I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenus the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. This is God's word. Amen. You may be seated. Won't you please pray with me before we come before the word? Heavenly Father, I ask that you prepare us now to receive this word. I pray that you would be exalted above all things during this time, but that you would grant clarity and great conviction by your spirit as we consider the end of Titus. Help us to hear, help us to understand, and I pray that you help us to bear fruit for our good and for your glory. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, again, if you're a visitor, I want to welcome you. Thanks for coming and joining us in worship. This is our evening service that you found your way to. We've been working our way through Titus, Paul's epistle to Titus, and we are finishing the letter today. And so last words matter. Last words matter. If you're watching a movie or reading a book, you know that how something concludes is incredibly important because it's the end that can help you understand the whole, right? It's the end that can guide the audience to the parting emphasis that the author intends. So last words matter. Tonight we have Paul's last words to Titus. And at the end of this letter, we can hear the parting emphasis that he intends to leave Titus and the Christians in Crete. And that emphasis is something that's been repeated six times throughout this letter. There's 46 verses in this letter. This emphasis has been repeated six times. It was at the beginning of the letter in chapter 1, verse 1, and it's at the end in our text, chapter 3, verse 8, and verse 14. Paul is ending on his emphasis tonight. 
devote yourselves to good works. That's it. He is calling them to a deliberate devotion to good works. And because this is God's word for us tonight in Titus, and Paul wrote this to Titus, it's our word as well. College Church, we must devote ourselves to good works. And there's three ways that this text calls us to that. There's three ways. So if you're writing things down, this will help you follow, Lord willing, through the sermon. Three ways. Number one, devote yourself to good works by what you insist. By what you insist. Number two, by what you avoid. And number three, by what you learn. Three ways the text calls us to devote ourselves to good works. By what you insist, by what you avoid, and by what you learn. So we're going to dive into this and consider what the Lord has for us. Let's look at verse 8. If you open up your Bibles, Titus chapter 3, verse 8. I'm going to read it. Devote yourselves to good works by what you insist. Here we go. It says, the saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Paul writes first that this saying, this trustworthy saying, he wants, them to in, he wants Titus to insist on these things. And so we need to be clear on what things he's referring to. What are these things? Well, he's talking about what he's just said. This trustworthy statement that's been said in verses 4 through 7, just above our passage. So look at verses 4 through 7. This is what Paul wants Titus to insist upon. It says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that, being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of of eternal life. And so what he's saying to Titus is insist on the gospel. Insist on these things. Remind your people of these things, verses 4 through 7. And why is he so keen on Titus reminding his people of the gospel? Why does he say insist on these things, insist on them? It's there in the second half of verse 8. It says, so that, the purpose for this is so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. Titus's insistence on the gospel is meant to lead his people into being devoted unto good works. And Paul started chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, focused on this devotion to good works, focused on ethics. And he moved in verses 4 through 7, to theology, to belief. We see the gospel there that we just referenced. And now in verses 8 to 11, he's coming back to ethics, to behavior in light of what we believe. His point is that the grace-giving gospel is the reason. It is the driving force, the motivation for why the Christians in Crete are to be devoted to good works. And the beautiful thing is, that this is God's plan and has been God's plan all along. This was not something that came about haphazardly or unexpectedly. 
And let me show you this. Chapter 2, verse 14. This is God's plan. He gave, so this is Paul speaking of Jesus. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So why does the Bible call us to be devoted to good works? Because we were likewise saved for that purpose. That's been God's plan. This is not just the refrain that we hear in Titus, but this is the refrain of the Bible, the New Testament scriptures, is it not? Paul, writing to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, says this, For by grace you have been saved. Sounds like verse 6 in our passage. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see, when this gospel is insisted upon, it changes how we view and understand our works. This gospel says we are justified not by our works, but by God's great merciful work on our behalf. And for those of us who are Christians in this room, who are following Christ, it's a helpful reminder that we don't need to serve in the nursery or serve by cooking a meal for a family in need or financially supporting others as an attempt to try to justify ourselves, but in response to the justification we've received. How great is that? We are free from the burden of self-justification before God and before others. You and I are not defined by what we do, but first and foremost by what God has done. Insisting on this gospel changes how we understand and view our devotion to good works. So you might be wondering, so if it changes our understanding of works, does this mean that we don't have to participate in good works anymore? And I hope you wouldn't hear that because clearly that's not the emphasis and not the main point. Um, Of course not. And so look at the end of verse 8. This is another reason why we should devote ourselves to good works. The second half of verse 8, Paul says that these things, these works are excellent and profitable for people. When the burden of self-justification is removed from our good works and instead they are done to illustrate Christ's saving work for sinners, our works are now made excellent and profitable. It's good for us now to participate and devote ourselves to good works in such a way. This is God's plan for us. It's for our good. It's for the good of others, as we saw at the beginning of chapter 3. It's a public devotion to good works. And it's a joy that this is a freedom from self-justification. This is the gospel that we insist upon. And so, if you are a follower of Christ tonight, there is a wrong way and a right way to devote yourself to good works. May we do so as we insist on the justification we have by grace alone, 
through faith alone and in Christ alone. And for those, I I don't assume that everybody here is a believer and follower of Jesus. So for those who are not professing Christians tonight, I think this is a helpful thing to think about. And I want to invite you into considering what I'm saying here. And so I have a simple ask for you tonight. Will you consider receiving this work of Christ on your behalf? What this means is Jesus is offering you freedom from trying to be good enough. God didn't save any of us in this room because of what we've done, but because of what he's done. And to be stuck in our sin is like a car that's stuck in mud. It's spinning its wheels, going nowhere. The harder we press the pedal, it doesn't matter. No matter how hard you try, you can't get out. So too it is with your effort, with my effort to earn favor before God. And this is not because of lack of trying, believe me, but because of the potency of sin. And God, because he is fair and just, cannot allow that sin to go unpunished. But the gospel that we are insisting on tonight explains that God saw this. He saw the futility of our works to save ourselves. And in his love, he sent his son, Jesus, to die, pay the penalty for sin. And now his righteousness is our righteousness. And so, if that's you, and if that's new to you, I invite you to to give up the never-ending struggle of self-justification and receive and rest in the grace of God for you. And then, you can heed this call to devote yourself to good works. The gospel message does not separate theology from ethics. The gospel message does not separate doctrine from duty. They are intertwined together. One commentator puts it this way, belief in God is not a matter of theory or of speculation, but of practice. It must be accompanied by good works. This true religion unites the beautiful and the profitable. The beautiful and the profitable. I love that. So we insist on the beautiful news, and we devote ourselves to the profitable good works in front of us. That's the first way that this text calls us to devote ourselves to good works. It's by what we insist. We insist on this gospel, justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. The second way that we're called to devote ourselves to good works from this text is by what we avoid, not what we insist, by what we avoid. And for that, let's read verses 9 through 11. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. The text moves from the imperative, insist on these things, to avoid this. Verses 9 through 11 are contrasting verse 8. If verse 8 was was what was profitable and excellent for the people, we see in verse 9 what's unprofitable and worthless for the people. See, Titus was ministering in a church context in Crete where there were plenty of, of opportunities 
to engage with controversial, unprofitable, and worthless speculation. We saw that in chapter 1, verses 10 through 16. And Paul's advice to Titus and indirectly to the Christians under his care, what is it? It's avoid these things. That's his words, avoid. And he gives four descriptions of what they are to avoid. Foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law. These are the general categories, the hot-button issues of their day that they were not called to engage in. These are categories that would be, could be expounded on and speculated on all day and all night, and they were unprofitable and worthless discussion and debate. That's what Paul seems to be saying here. Paul gave Timothy a similar charge and instruction in 1 Timothy chapter 1, 4, and he tells him to avoid these myths, these Jewish myths that we've read about in chapter 1 of Titus, but avoid these myths, endless genealogies which promote speculation. How is Titus going to be able to devote himself and his people to good works? It's not just by doing the right thing and insisting on something. It's also by avoiding the wrong things. He is to exercise self-control and disengage with what is unprofitable discussion. Now, I think it's very easy to read this text and immediately think of other people you'd like to apply this to. I know I can. That's the temptation. But what I would like for us and what, what I think Scripture calls of us is to allow this text to cut to our core, to be applied to us first and foremost. What do we need to prayerfully avoid for the sake of being devoted to good works? That's convicting. That's been convicting for me as I've pondered this text this week. I know there are things we should not avoid. In fact, much of this letter are things that Titus needs to respond to and rebuke and silence and engage. But this text here, our text tonight, says there are things that we need to avoid, that Titus needs to. I think the, the lie is that I know there are things we need to engage in, but the lie is that today we need to give time to every quarreling topic or opinion that exists on the internet or on social media or in conversation with others and with our friends. And let me tell you right now, we don't. You don't and you can't. I'm a high school pastor, which means Deuteronomy 29.29 is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. The reason for that is when you get really hard questions from any students, you can always refer to Deuteronomy 29.29. Those of you smiling have read Deuteronomy 29.29. I'll read it to you right now. It says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. An unhealthy craving for speculation can distract us from God's purpose for us. 
can distract us from these good works that we're called to be devoted to. And I think this problematic perspective, which, which fixates on controversies and quarrels, is a way that the evil one can seek to divide us, can seek to take our eyes off of the insistence on the gospel and onto something else. May we not trade our profitable kingdom work for unprofitable speculation. May we insist on what's been revealed, insist on the gospel so that we may then do good works. It makes me think of, um, if you've ever walked into a restaurant, you've probably seen this, unfortunately, where you see two people, maybe on a date, and one of them is sitting there looking at the other person, ready to engage, and the other person has their head down and they're on their phone, (laughs) right? I think we've all seen that. I think I'm guilty of that. Kelsey can attest every now and then. completely enthralled with what's happening on their phone right in front of them, social media, something else, instead of enjoying the purposeful time for why they went to the restaurant in the first place. And so too, we can focus on the wrong things. We can have a problem of perspective. And by doing so, we limit our usefulness for the kingdom by feeding an appetite that seeks dissensions, potentially quarrels, or controversies. And Paul says, avoid such things. But it's clear that Paul doesn't believe everyone will heed his advice. Because in verses 10 through 11, he lays out the instructions for when this happens, this is how you are to respond. He says to warn the person that's stirring up division once and then again and then have nothing more to do with him. The word division here, it it gives the sense not just of a separate opinion on a matter, but in some sense a separate group, a formation of a separate huddle group of people breaking away from the unity of the church. And Paul's point is that that person is already self-condemned. Why? Because they've separated from us. They're self-condemned by their former self, who was once united in the body of believers. Notice he doesn't say to attack this person, to continue a third time, a fourth time, a fifth time, to There are a lot of things that could be done. He says, have nothing more to do with him. He is self-condemned. I think this point here really does give us the sense of urgency, of necessity, of the importance of the unity of the body of believers, how important it was for an early church in Crete that was still needing to set up elders and officers It highlights the seriousness with which Paul takes disengaging with anything that takes away the focus from profitable good works. And it's a seriousness that we should likewise heed tonight. We are called to devote ourselves to good works, first by what we insist, and second by what we avoid. There's one more section of our text, verse 12 to 15. We are called to devote ourselves to good works by what we 
learn. Let me reread verses 12 through 15. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter winter there. Do your best to speed Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works, so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Paul's last words. It may seem like something you want to gloss over, just a farewell at the end of the letter, but I think we can see here that Paul's last words are still ripe with this emphasis, this original emphasis that we've heard throughout the letter. Look at verse 14. It is quite literally the last thing he says before he says farewell, the farewell greetings. Verse 14, and let our people, before you go, Titus, let our people devote themselves to good works. Devoting oneself to good works, in verse 14, it says it's something that needs to be learned. Learn to devote themselves to good works. And I hope that encourages somebody tonight. It encouraged me. Because this is something that I think we can all acknowledge can be very challenging, especially as it relates to what to avoid, how to prioritize the insistence of the gospel in fellowship with one another here, but also seeking the urgent needs of others. It is something to be learned. And this is something that we corporately should be doing. This was not just a call to Titus, but a call to the people something that we corporately should be leaning into and learning together. And I think Paul's example in these short verses give us some encouragement and help to do that. Look at verses 12 and 13. Here Paul gives these urgent marching orders, and it seems that there's a a man named Artemis who we don't know anything about, really, and a man named Tychicus, and one of the two of them seems to be going to Titus to be able to take over the church so that Titus can go visit Paul in Nicopolis. We know Tychicus is someone who's been referred to by Paul elsewhere in the New Testament as a faithful minister and servant of the Lord. He's part of this co-laboring team. He, he pops up in about four or five different books in the New Testament. And so Paul's sending them on their way so that Titus can come and be encouraged and spend time with Paul in Nicopolis, ministry marching orders. Then we see in verse 13, Paul tells Titus to take care of Zenos the lawyer. I can't wait to meet Zenos the lawyer because we don't know much about him. There's an assumption he's probably an expert in Jewish law, someone who's very useful to Paul in carrying on the work of ministry. And who's he paired up with? He's paired up with Apollos, the gifted co-laborer that we read about in 1 Corinthians in Acts 18. And it seems that they are on their way, we don't know where, to continue to carry out the work. And what does Paul say? He says to see that they lack nothing. 
He's inviting them into this. Take care of your fellow brothers who are laboring for the gospel. He's looking to encourage and meet up with Titus. He's providing support for the church in Crete with Artemis and Tychicus. He is making sure that Zenos and Apollos are well supplied for the work they have in front of them. And he invites the church in Crete to partake in all of this. Paul the Apostle was devoted to good works. Two different ways. Before he came to know the gospel and after. And he shows here good works that are profitable, that are excellent, that are fruitful for ministry, that are purposed by the Lord. And what I found particularly interesting to think about is Paul is seeking to care for Apollos, this one who in 1 Corinthians we know there were divisions in the church that started because some said, I follow Paul, and others said, well, I follow Apollos. An easy target to have a ministry rivalry with, competition with, to have some sort of disunity with Apollos. Hey, you do your thing on that side of town at your church, and I'm going to do mine on this side of town at this church. No, they're co-laboring, they're working together. Paul's about the work. He is sincerely focused on what needs to get done, the fruit that needs to be harvested. And he showcases a deliberate devotion to good works. And so what are his last words to the church in Crete? Let the people learn to devote themselves to good works. So too, we must learn to be deliberately devoted to such, to good works, seeking out our brothers and sisters in need, those who are in urgent need, partnering with those who are going all over the world to share the gospel, financially supporting laborers, laborers that come through our church and go on somewhere else. There's an urgency to this work. And this urgency requires people who are focused on it and ready to learn and to lean into it. And so for us at College Church, there's work to be done. We're engaged in work. It's great. But we need to be doing it the right way, insisting on the gospel, avoiding the things we need to avoid, and continuing to lean in and learn how to do this well. God calls his people into the profitable and excellent work that he has prepared for us. And so may we devote ourselves to it this week for our good and for the glory of God. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the mercy that you've shown us in Christ, not as as a result of our works, but as a result of your great work. And I pray that your spirit would empower us to participate in the good works that you have called us to here at College Church, that our belief would not be divorced from behavior, 
Our doctrine would not be divorced from our duty. So grant us perseverance to labor well, to see the urgent need around us. Grant us self-control and protect us from any unprofitable or worthless debates or division. And I pray that you keep us united by the power of the Holy Spirit, united as we insist on the gospel for our own good and for your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.